This is the Early Link Podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tabitha Rossbroy, the first early childhood educator to be named National Teacher of the Year. She is a 10-year veteran teacher in Winfield, Kansas, at the Winfield Early Learning Center, and she operates an inclusive classroom with an intergenerational program housed at Cumbernauld Village, a local retirement community and nursing home. Tabitha, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. How are you today? I am doing really well. I wish you could see how big I'm smiling right now. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> well, I wish we could be doing this in person, but it's mm-hmm. great to do it this way. I really appreciate your time. Congratulations on the National Teacher of the Year Award. I'm just curious what it's like to receive that award and what it's like to be the first early childhood educator to win it. Well, it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, it's some, never something that I thought would happen to me or I ever anticipated. When I found out I was a finalist, I thought, are they sure they called the right person? Just because there are so many incredible educators, not only in Kansas, but across the country. And my eyes have been open to that even more. So I'm humbled and I'm really honored to represent them and be a voice for them in the coming year, specifically for early childhood education, which hasn't, you know, always gotten its due. You know, we've gained steam over the last 20 or so years uh, in the public school system and just around the country. But, you know, I keep telling my friends that 2020 is coming up early childhood. I'm excited to be representing them and their incredible work that early childhood educators do. 2020 is the year. I like that. It sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about Winfield, Kansas and the Early Learning Center where you teach. Yeah, sure. So Winfield is, let's see, we're about 12,000 people. It's a rural community, but we have been dedicated to investing in early childhood education for four years, years before I was here. Um, About the last 20 years, we have had an early childhood program. And in the last 15 years, it has become available to any four-year-old child. We provide free preschool for any four-year-old in our community, which I didn't really understand how unique that was until I moved back to Winfield from, I had gone to college in this town also, and then moved back here to teach. When my friends, you know, in Houston and on the East Coast were calling me and saying, what do I do about my child? How do I get them into preschool when there's nothing available? I didn't know, you know, until the last five, six years, how unusual this was. And in addition to that, we are housed all in a center, um, which is the Winfield Early Learning Center, except for my classroom, which is offsite in the nursing home and retirement village. And we offer parents as teachers. We offer a three-year-old program for those who qualify with certain developmental delays. And we also do something really cool called Parent Engaged Preschool, which is what our Parents as Teachers program puts on. And it's a one day a week preschool for children and families to get kids acclimated to coming into the center um, and to give them a little bit of that preschool experience before they're age eligible. That sounds wonderful. Is Now, the universal component, is that just in Winfield or is that state of Kansas? What does it look like across the state? It is not the state of Kansas. It really started out strong in Winfield and Cowley County as a whole now offers, which is the county that we're in, now offers free four-year-old preschool. And this comes in large part due to funding that we receive, not only through at-risk grants, but through our special education co-op. So all of our teachers are certified to teach unified, so they can teach special ed or gen ed students up to eight years old. And that really helps us be able to provide services in a more widespread way. Could you say more about the parent engagement piece and also this wonderful intergenerational component that you have uh, in your approach to engaging, you know, the full spectrum and the age range of parents and grandparents in a child's learning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
I have always felt super passionate about families. Since I was a young teacher and I worked for a Head Start program in Salina, Kansas, and I saw what the outcome of engaging families looked like and how that made students successful both in the classroom and at home. And I I hope that I brought some of that energy back here to Winfield and I came to a place where they were already aware that it was important to engage the stakeholders in a child's learning. Mm -hmm. And we do that in lots of different ways, like through our parents as teachers program, but we're in a unique situation being in an early learning center. So we don't have the typical PTO. You know, our kids are only there one or two years. So we have to look for different ways to engage families that might typically be engaged in a longer term situation, like in an elementary school. Sure. Really, it looks like just having kind of an open door policy. Our families are welcome at any time in our classroom, and it really starts by having them at the center through that Parents as Teachers program. We've expanded that in the last several years so that we can serve more families. And just bridging that gap between home and school has been so helpful into just providing information and access to what our kids need from birth up to age five, you know, when they leave our program. As for the intergenerational component, we had something called an Early Childhood Readiness Coalition in our town, made up of community members, teachers, administrators, and some other stakeholders, where we were looking at what our needs were. You know, we knew we already had these this incredible preschool program, but what were we still missing? What did we need? And one of the things that came out of that was more full-day preschool opportunities. And we knew we needed that to help our families and our students, but we didn't really have the space. We didn't know how we were going to manage it. Um, And that is when the partnership with Cumbernauld Village came up. And my superintendent had heard of programs like this in coastal cities and overseas. And there actually is a kindergarten in Coffeyville, Kansas, inside of a nursing home. And so he approached Cumbernauld and kind of the beautiful story behind it is that by the time he got back to his office from visiting Cumbernauld, he had a message that said, we're in, what do we need to do? Wow. Fantastic. And what a great partnership as well. Yes. You've talked about this a little bit, but I'm just curious, what was it about teaching preschool and early learning specifically that drew you to this side of the profession as an educator? You know, I knew from high school that I wanted to be a teacher. And I changed my mind a couple of times Um, When I was in college, I thought once that I maybe wanted to teach history, but knew that geography was not my strong suit. I was (laughs) an English major, English education major for two and a half years. And I just kept getting drawn back to our youngest learners. I got to experience teaching at our lab school on campus, um, which was Little Builders at the time. And something Mm -hmm. about being with kids when they are most ripe for learning you know, not only are they soaking in information more rapidly than I think that I've soaked in information in many years, they're observing the world in this really beautiful, innocent way and getting to be a part of that and getting to make an impact in their lives has been so rewarding for me. And not only that, they're hilarious. Little kids are hilarious. They love school. (laughs) They love you. They say something funny every day. It is so hard not to be joyful when you teach our, our littlest kids. It's very true. Very true. It's like built-in comic relief. It really is. <laughs> they, compliment, <laughs> they compliment you excessively. You just you feel great about yourself when you are yeah. with four and five-year-old kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, I wanted to ask you too about the social-emotional learning component. We hear about mm-hmm. this often, particularly for young children. And I'm curious what that looks like in your classroom. 
So for me, I am a huge, huge advocate for conscious discipline, which probably a lot of early childhood educators have heard of. It was something that I got a little glimpse of in my training as a student teacher and has really been woven into the fabric of my classroom. Just the idea that we are a school family, that every child is loved and important and has a critical role to play, and that we can teach them how to manage their emotions. I have seen the fruits of that labor firsthand. So many people, they're bothered by by having to teach kids how to manage their emotions. But Mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that it should be taught just as intentionally as any other academic or social skill. They have to learn. They don't know. They're not born knowing what to do with these big feelings. And I think if you look around the world today, that's pretty evident that we didn't know 20 years ago, 30 years ago, how to do this well. But now we know how important it is to teach kids to regulate so that that can lead to the critical thinking skills that they need in order to be, you know, functioning kids and functioning adults that make positive choices and help them contribute to our world in positive ways. And I, I can't speak enough about how important it is, not only in preschool, but at every age. I love that. And I see more and more educators working with conscious discipline and really trying to incorporate that into the way that they work with young children. So um, your work is inspiring. Thank you. No, thank you. I'm curious, you've talked about the universal component, the fact that preschool is available to all four-year-olds in your community. And sometimes we think about early learning and preschool as a separate experience from the K-12 world. And I'm just curious how well-connected they are in your world. And do they really feel like separate systems or are they, you know, do they, are they integrated? Do they work well together? Well, we're definitely separated just by space, you know, being an early learning center, but those are talks that we're constantly having. Like, is it a better idea to be in the school system to reduce transitions Um, like the elementary schools, we are a part of the school system. Sorry, I misspoke there. But I really feel like even as a center where we're able to really collaborate as a team and sort of the grade level center model is really beneficial for the students. Although I can see some benefits of being in an elementary school building. But I think that we do an incredible job here in Winfield and in the county on collaborating with kindergarten teachers, especially, and then the special ed teachers in the building we have, you know, transition processes. We have meetings where we collaborate and provide training to each other. I'm a part of a team called the Early Childhood Academy for our county that trains teachers and staff on positive behavior intervention support. So that goes up to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, whoever is mm-hmm. whoever is needing that assistance. So there are lots of supports in place that have come through years of trial and error on keeping us connected. And I definitely feel like we work together to do what's best for kids, even though we are separate in separate buildings. Do you see the way that you approach learning in the preschool years? Is that impacting or influencing what's happening with your kindergartners and first graders in your community? There definitely. I think that preschool teachers are people that people need to listen to a little more often, you know, Um, (laughs) to think about, you know, what our early learning standards are even like how do kids learn best? They learn through play. That's their important work. And And it's so intentional. And we know that as early educators. And we have sort of a responsibility to speak up at our, you know, PLC levels and at our district-wide levels about why that works for kids and why it's the best way to learn. And I think that it's gained steam with, you know, project-based learning um, and individualized learning. And I find us 
talking more to kindergarten teachers about how we run things in our classroom than we ever have before. That's great to hear. I also want to ask you about the continuous learning guidance that you helped shape. Can you talk about what that is and what that means? Sure. So continuous learning guidance, that was um, a plan that I helped try chair with two other educators. And our Kansas Department of Education came to us on spring break and said, there's a potential that school is going to shut down the rest of the year as we know it, our school buildings, and we need a plan. So, you know, within those three days, really less than less than three days, about 48 hours, we... Things were moving so quickly. Oh, so quickly. We got a team of about 40 educators together and KSDE people and lawyers and people who represent kids first. You know, that was the most important thing, the educator voice in this plan to think about what was going to be reasonable and manageable both for staff but and for our families at home who have kids, maybe three kids, maybe don't have access to internet. Maybe they their parents are working or the older siblings are being caregiver in this situation. So we really tried to look at it from all angles and just provide a guiding document for school districts to plan and to figure out what their communities needed. And so I was super honored to be a part of that. Um, it really became sort of sort of a beacon or a guiding document for states around the country. You know, I think that the first week our um, deputy commissioner got about um, 16 to 20 states contacting him asking for our document so they could use it in their own in their own states who might have closed down a little bit later than we did. And so mm-hmm. we were we were so glad because we definitely believe better together. You know, my college professor, Rich Bicker, used to say, beg, borrow, and steal. That's what teachers do. <laughs> um, and so definitely, definitely, we're so glad to be able to offer something that valued educator voice and family needs up to other people to use. So part of that means, you know, getting some things in place for young children and their families, particularly amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm just curious you know, from your perspective, what does that mean? What does it look like to connect with kids and families virtually through this time? You know, our school year is just about over here in Oregon. I'm not sure where you're at in the timeline, but what's been working best and what are children really in need of during this time? So it's been definitely challenging, um, especially with young children to connect from a distance. So what we have found that they needed more than anything, though, is that connection. They needed to stay connected to their teachers And more than that, they needed to be connected to their peers. And so a lot of what I did, in addition to recording academic videos and coaching families through being the at-home teacher, was keeping my kids connected with me and with each other. And we would do that through, you know, letters and notes and weekly video calls with each other, individual video calls or phone calls with each family and child each week, just any way that we could offer that emotional support to them during this time. And a time when they're, you know, four years old, your whole world is flipped upside down Mm -hmm. when something like this changes. And so I really felt that responsibility, not only to take care of my students in that way, but also their families, you know, their families needed to hear from me, encouraging words. They needed to not just get demands from the school. They needed to know I am on your team We are working together in a way that we never have before. And they needed positive feedback just like their kids did. To me, that sounds like it's really just reinforcing this idea of a a partnership between teachers and parents or family members in terms of thinking about the best interests of the child. Oh, absolutely. And you know that I'm kind of a silver lining girl. 
I always like to see like what what came out of this because as reflective practitioners, we need to be looking every day. What we were doing, was that the best thing before and how can we improve it? And I really do think I saw some things out of this, though nothing can replace what we get in the classroom every day. I saw some ways that I could enhance what I'm doing in the classroom when we're able to be back together. Is there an example or two you could share? Oh, yes. So I so doing the weekly check-ins with my families, you know, I didn't do that before. I had, you know, sort of my lesson plan, my newsletter, the check-in when I needed to. Um, and I consider myself someone who has strong familial relations with my students' families. Right. But the idea that I was making intentional contact every week with their moms or their dads or their caregivers and saying, what is going well with you at home? What is not going well? How can I support you? That is something that I will absolutely continue to do. It might not be through video chat, but I will do it with intention after this pandemic is over. I wanted to ask, because you've talked about your role as a teacher and teaching the values of equality, love, and respect. And, you know, we're in many ways a nation in turmoil at the moment. And I'm just curious about what that means to you during these times and what your approach might be to that. You know, I have been having so many conversations with educators across the country in the last two weeks about these topics and wondering, is it too young to talk to our kids, to talk to our kids about these big issues? And in some ways, we definitely have to be respectful of developmental ability and what they can understand and, you know, violence and what's appropriate. But I think that it is never too early to start teaching kids how to love and respect one another, regardless of race, regardless of ability. It is crucial. We, you know, we teach that. Some people think that we're born these caring, nurturing creatures, but I think that it's taught. I think there's an innate ability to love and attach inside of us, but I think that empathy and respect are things that you foster in children through the way that you talk to them and through the way that you interact with others. You know, I had one of my students say to me last year, we were in the dining room at the nursing home and we were just, you know, flittering around the room, doing our usual morning greetings, giving high fives and hugs and smiles and having conversations, doing this important teaching of what that looks like. And one of my students hugged my waist and she said, I love the way that you love the grandparents. And so Hmm. in that (laughs) moment, I knew how much what I was doing was just as important as what I was saying. They needed Mm -hmm. to see me treating people with love and respect. And that was more impactful than anything that I said. I love that. um, I'm also curious that you've talked a bit about this earlier. And, you know, often early educators are not necessarily viewed on the same footing or equal footing Mm -hmm. as an educator working in the K-12 system. And, you know, there are many examples of that. One is, you know, inequality in pay, for example, Mm -hmm. which is pretty common across the country. I want to get your thoughts on that and the potential for your role in receiving this award to potentially change that. Where, how do you see things? You know, I wasn't aware until the last couple of years about these huge inequities in pay of early childhood educators because the communities I have been in have been so supportive of early childhood education. I had this assumption that all early childhood educators were treated with this, you know, same respect and dignity as their K through 12 peers which is Mm -hmm. so funny to say out loud because, you know, we also know that (laughs) teachers don't always get respect and dignity, but you know, when you're comparing it to, yeah. Um, But I had joined some online communities that were talking about early childhood in other states and that really opened my eyes to what they were going through. And, you know, I've even had friends, you know, have little 
little, little comments that don't really mean anything, but they make assumptions about what I do all day. Um, it's because our kids are young, but being young doesn't make their learning time any less valuable. I would argue that it makes it even more valuable because we know that the brain is developing most rapidly from birth to age five. So what we're doing in this time is probably making even a bigger impact than it would if I, you know, was teaching college or something, something before that. And not to mean we don't all have important jobs, but it's time that early childhood be seen for the critical time in life that it is. And that early childhood educators get the recognition that they deserve as professionals. Most of the people that I work with are highly educated with master's degrees and beyond. They are experts in their field. They know kids, they know families, and they know pedagogy. And so I am incredibly honored to be representing early childhood educators. And I hope to shed a little bit of light on what we're doing every day so that the rest of the world can catch up to what we know in Winfield. And that's that early childhood matters and is worth investing in. Well, I wish you the best of luck carrying that message forward. And if I can help you do that, I will. (laughs) So I appreciate that. I am also, it just occurred to me that sometimes there's sort of a, a confusion between what preschool means or early learning means compared to childcare. And I just wonder if that comes up for you, if that's come up in discussions, how you might describe the difference. I think generally, I like to think of childcare as an early learning experience and not just a babysitting opportunity or place for young kids to go. But I'm wondering how you think about the difference between the two, or if there is one. You know, this is actually a pretty common question that people ask me or that I have to explain. And I totally respect what childcare facilities are doing, both in-home and out facilities. And they have an important job, but I also think that we serve very different roles. So, you know, the role of childcare is specifically to serve a familial need, right? Which is, you know, my caregiver or my family member is at work and I need care during that time. And I think that's sort of how it came about. But preschool is school, you know? It is intentional teaching. It is learning through play. It is everything that K through 12 is just at the developmental level that's appropriate for a four-year-old. And I just think that's the main difference. But I do believe that both early childhood educators and daycare providers should be recognized for the service that they do for our communities. Well, this opportunity, it really is a chance for you to be a national advocate for early educators. Mm -hmm. You've talked about what that means a little bit, but I'm curious what other priorities are there for you? What is that going to look like over the coming year? Because my understanding is you're going to be taking some time off teaching to kind of carry this message forward and really serve as as the National Teacher of the Year. So what does that look like? Well, so being out of the classroom is going to be so tricky for me because, you know, it's my quite favorite, a change. favorite place to be. Yeah. I just keep having <laughs> to remind myself that this is serving my students in a different way and serving my profession in a different way for this time out of the classroom. But, you know, what I really hope to do is to work not only with communities, but with policymakers um, in talking about what quality early childhood education looks like and being a voice for why that's so important and why it's not money wasted, but it's you know money invested in these programs. And there are people out there doing the hard work of the research. And I have that research. I hope to disseminate it and get a spotlight. You know, I have a megaphone right now. And mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I did not use every opportunity to speak about, you know, the overwhelming power and importance of early childhood education. 
But I also hope to bring, you know, a more universal lens to social emotional education too in my time as National Teacher of the Year. Early childhood ed, social emotional ed go really hand in hand. But I think that we can also teach our K through 12 counterparts how we're embedding that in our day and how it can look like for a child at every age. But another really important thing that I hope to do is just elevate teacher voice in this legislative process and policymaking. You know, through this position, with the help of CCSSO, I get to have these interactions with policymakers. But what I hope to do is open some doors for my colleagues so that they can do the same thing. Well, it sounds wonderful. And I wish you the best of luck in carrying that forward and really helping the thinking around early education evolve and uh, both in Kansas and across the country. Well, thank you so much. And I was so glad to be a guest. And I just, I wish you well on your podcast and look forward to working with you again someday. Sounds great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tabitha. Thank you. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure that every child in Oregon has the best start in life. I'm your host, Rafael Otto. Join us and tune in on 99.1 FM on the second and fourth Sunday of every month at 4.30 p.m. Thanks for joining us and please tune in next time or find our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also find episodes on the Children's Institute website at childinst.org and on the Portland Radio Project website at prp.fm.